right, we're back. Thank you for being here. Thanks for joining us on GPS to God. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you happen to listen or watch. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those other podcast apps that you may listen to. Um, you can also catch us on YouTube by typing GPS to God in the search bar or just go to youtube.com slash C slash GPS to God. And make sure you hit that bell if you want to get notified when new content is posted. Please reach out to us at our email, podcast at parkwaybc.net. That's podcast at parkwaybc.net. Let us know topics you want to hear about, debates we can settle. Ryan still doesn't watch movies, but, uh, (laughs) you know, life advice, we want to hear from you. Um, If you're listening or watching from outside the United States, let us know. We'd like to uh, give you a shout out. India, Russia, Dominican Republic, Canada, South Africa, El Salvador. What's some other ones? That's the ones I can remember off the top of my head. But wherever you listen to, even in the United States, we still want to hear from you as well. Of course. New episodes come out every Monday, and uh, we have an Instagram account now, boys. GPS to God. Get on the Instagram. Check it out. See some behind-the-scenes stuff and uh, maybe some humorous content if you have a dry sense of humor like me. (laughs) But uh, today we are so blessed to have with us Mr. Rudy Kalis. And that's going to take me a second, but I'm going to read off. Just a couple. Just a couple. Four regional Emmys for Outstanding Broadcasting, a Silver Circle Award presented for Outstanding Achievement in Broadcasting, 15 Associated Press Awards, and he was voted Best Sportscaster in Nashville 25 times. I don't know if all that's true, those numbers. I got that off the internet. but uh, He still I, is the best. Why would it be a lie? He still is I, the best. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying, the uh, you know, you got to be careful what you pull off the internet sometimes. This did not come off Wikipedia, though. I trust this website I got, I got it from. So I know those awards are true. I just didn't know if the numbers were true. But all those numbers and more, I'm sure. But, Rudy, thank you very much for being here. We are so honored that uh, you are in the hot seat. Well, you're kind, Daniel. Nice of you to invite me. Well, we appreciate it. Um, Rudy has had, I don't don't, kind of the American dream life, I guess, if you were to to go with that. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and and how you and your family came to America? Oh, see, you've given them little hints and stuff. You know, I I worked in the toy store for a long time. That's what we always call the sports department. But uh, um, since you've been dealing faith, you know, one of my favorite proverbs is sixteen nine. In his heart, a man plans his way in life, but it's the Lord who directs his steps. So that's I, I always like to talk to people about. We're a product of the shadows in our past, the things that happened to us, the people that we met and where we came from. And and I came to this country as an immigrant with my parents when I was five years old from Germany. Came on a, on a ship through Ellis Island, couldn't speak English. Uh, it was a mission, a Lutheran mission in Wisconsin that sponsored us. So that's where we had to go to, and that's where I grew up, in wow. Milwaukee. Wow. Wow. Movie stuff right there. That's yeah. that's the American dream coming right, through yes. Ellis Island, and, yes. and I mean that's a Disney movie. So, what got you interested in broadcasting? Um, because I knew, knew I'd never be good enough to be a professional athlete. You know, I was. Uh, I, uh, I like some of the conversation we had. I like asking people where they've been and what they've done. I mean, I wasn't a particularly good student. I wasn't a very good student at all. 
um, in high school, and then I tried college for a year. wasn't good enough to go to a regular college, so I went to a, a tech school, a two-year tech school. But after one year, I had a zero point nine four grade point average in a draft. Is that bad? In a, <laughs> is that bad? In a draft notice. And, uh, my my problem was that right across the street from the school was the YMCA with a good pool hall in the basement, and I hustled pool and. Uh, Nice. Uh, and did that. So I flunked out, and I had a draft notice, and I enlisted in the Air Force because I Army, I said, I don't know what will happen, what's going on. It was Vietnam era, uh, and I love airplanes. And the, and the recruiter, I said, I want to be an air traffic controller. Certainly, son, sign right here. And so <laughs> Got him. I said, took, got me. <laughs> took the plane down to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas, got off. Tech sergeant met all 125 of us, cussed us up and down, said, every one of y'all fixing to be military police. And I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yes, sir. So I spent four years, and, and you grow up. You grow up in different stages. And yeah, four years made a difference in my life. And I got out, and I, I, I had the GI Bill. And... Uh, and I took I, I went back to the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, a regular school, big school, and uh, I, I said, I'd like to. And he said, certainly, Mr. Kalis, you've been a veteran. We'll just go get your old transcripts. And, mm. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, but, but they took me on final probation. And I, I took a radio production course just to kind of get in a swing of studying. I said, man, there's a little ham in there. And I uh, and and so all of a sudden I finished four years and three years because I, I went all year round. I said if I ever quit at summer to get a job, I might not come back. I know me, <laughs> yeah. and so I just hustled it and 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 wanted to get in sports, and it it, it worked eventually. Wow, yeah. I I will say Rudy came in the door and and I met him. We shook hands, and I had to go get something off the printer, so I you know let him entertain himself, which was very gracious on my part, but. <laughs> He walks straight to the pool table, so I believe he yeah, can hustle. Is. I it believe he nice. can hustle somebody. It's a, it's so. a nice table. <laughs> Watch your wallets when you walk downstairs past the pool table. So, in the Air Force, you what was your job in the Air Force? I was military. Oh, we military call them AP, Air Police. So we, we uh, what they you know we marched around airplanes on flight lines and at front gates and brought people in of that nature and such. And uh, in the last year, I was uh, I was on an atoll out in the Pacific Ocean. It was Johnston Island. It was uh, 900 miles southwest of Hawaii. Hmm. It was a half a mile wide and it was a mile long. It was nothing but a refueling stop. And when Apollo, 9, uh, Apollo 11 landed on the moon, they came down near Johnston Island. And uh, President Nixon on Air Force One landed on Johnston Island. He went out to the, uh, to the aircraft carrier, and I was one of those military police who guarded the Air Force One, like, who's going, you know, <laughs> we're out in the middle of the no- nowhere, but anyway, uh, so, yeah, I guarded Air Force One. <laughs> that was too cool. That's very cool. <laughs> yes. Did the astronauts, they, they didn't come back to no, there? No, or no, no, there no, had, no. They, they, they went out to the aircraft carrier, and from there were flown back to the States and hmm. had to be incubated and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. That That is... So you're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and you come home. Yeah. How do you get into the media world, the new broadcasting? Well, like I say, I, I went to the university. It's called UWM, UW-Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Bruce Pearl but it, but it was there before he went to the University of Tennessee. Yes. Um, 
And so I, that's how I got involved in broadcasting. I, if, if you're a sports fan at all, I, I got to do the play-by-play for the UWM Panther football and basketball team. Football team was miserable. And we did it from the <laughs> second floor of the biology building, opened it up. And my color man, people who you got to know sports understand, was Bob Uecker. He's, uh, oh, yeah. he's in the Baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame, with the, and he had just retired from playing. And he said, I, you know, I want to get in broadcast. So he and I <laughs> were spending a, a football season together on the road, I'm telling you. Uh, he's uh yeah interesting guy <laughs> yeah, yeah a lot of fun a lot of fun so but those kinds of stuff and, and you know and after i finished it off and and then you know you think about yourselves you sent out resumes i mean i made a montage out of the rejection letterheads from all the television stations that said thanks but no thanks um and i finally got a call from a news director in green bay wisconsin and he said i've got a job opening for you if you want it but it's not to be in sports it's not to be on the air. You're going to be an assistant producer. And he said, you want it? And I said, I'll, I'll take it. And I've always told people, young people, I've had so many interns in my, in my career. And I said, if somebody offers you a job, you take it. And then show me you can be there on time. Show me I can trust you. Show me. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you can talk yourself away into once you've proven yourself and other things. So I took it. And every chance I got, I'd say, can I go out and maybe help you out in sports? Can I do this and that? Um, and uh, you know, and and so I did that. And uh, in time, I was a news reporter after a while, uh, and did some weekend sports. Ran the film processor. Wow. Had to go in the dark room because they shut everything on film, and I can still close my eyes. And you have to take all the little reels and you put it onto a big reel. It has to put five splices that have to be hold this thing together, and it has to be perfect because you put it on the big reel, and then it goes through all the chemicals going through through the rollers. And if it ever gets caught, you've got ten seconds. To get that thing rolling again, or you would lose the emulsion, and the entire newscast would go oh, wow. gone. <laughs> so I would be sending in there. I'd run the film processor, but I would be writing a sports script while I kept looking at the film processor for the weekend sports. On an old, fa- on a, on, you guys know what a typewriter is. Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I know. <laughs> but this case crazy because you get more and more younger. You did what on what? It's a typewriter. What's, what's that? So that's what I did. And I was there about a year and a half, and, you know, you look for opportunities, go somewhere else. You guys did it in your life. And uh, and the sports director one day got mad at everybody and quit. And I'm making $8,000 a year. And I said, man, if I ever make 20000 a year, I'm quitting. I'm retiring. You know, that's all I need. I'm good. Right. Who can I do this? And they're caught off guard. We don't know what to uh, – and they hired a consultant agency that oh. worked with television stations around the country. And he said, you can fill in. So I got to fill in for a month. I did it every single day. This was my big shot while they brought in other candidates and did stuff. And at the end of the month, two guys in a suit called me in a room. They said, Rudy, you ought to think about getting out of broadcasting because you're a friendly enough guy, but I don't think you're, you're just not aggressive enough. I don't think you'll <laughs> just sink. Here's what you do. And you think about this with yourselves. I think a lot of us, depending on what people said to us growing up, you know, because my father is immigrants, my mother and father. My sister got straight A's. I mean, I was if, if I was a kid now, I'd be on Ritalin. But I mean, because I, I mean, I couldn't concentrate on anything. I was a dreamer in space and got terrible grades and all that. And my parents, to try to motivate me, would say, "What's wrong with you, Rudy? Are you dumb? You're never going to amount to anything." And I, 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 guess, I guess I must be dumb. Then I got to high school and played uh, played a lot of basketball. My senior year, I was captain of the team, and we were third in state and i remember the coach we had our 50th high school reunion we all talked about it i never once remember him telling me i did a good job uh-huh. i either did exactly what he told me to do or he dog cussed me up one side down the other uh-huh. so these things stay in you you guys know think about uh-huh. your lives 
they stay inside of you, the things that people tell you, and that's a lot of people. That's with a lot of us. There are other people who were fortunate enough to have somewhere growing up, either a teacher or a parent would say, you're magnificent. You've got a mathematical talent that's remarkable. You've got a musical. Someday you're going to be great. And when I was about 60 years old, I thought about it and I said, there are a bunch of us in this world who have spent and will spend our whole lives either trying to prove somebody right or prove somebody wrong. I go in those NFL locker rooms. I was in the Titans locker room all the time. I can't tell you many of those guys said, people thought I'd never amount to anything. And, and I'm, and I was an incredible motivating thing. But some people, it just breaks down to nothing. And so for me, when those guys told me, Rudy, ought to get on broadcasting, I was, oh, I'm right back to dad. I'm right back to the coach. I'm not good enough. So I think I've spent my whole life trying to prove to myself that I'm not, that, that, that I'm okay, that I'm not, you know, that I'm worth something. So, uh, so it's just interesting to think about their, their lives. Whenever I try to talk, or even y'all, I hope your minds are working on that and people who may watch. Think about your life because that always dictates some of the th- reasons we do things, you know. Um, and so it works on. So I sent resumes out. They hired a guy. I taught him what to do uh, or helped him. And then I sent resumes out. Well, that's when you find out. Another thing you guys know, you find out how bad you want it. Either you tuck your tail and you quit or else – and boy, and I sent resumes out and I, I made a whole mo- – a list of stations at a certain level, which size market, uh, and, and sent a resume. And one, all of a sudden I got a, I got a call from Nashville from WSM. It's the old uh, radio station, WSM-TV. And they saw a tape of mine. I said, I wish I was still around somewhere because I, I think I was terrible. <laughs> sweating like crazy. And so they – and they hired me over the phone. I, I – what? And I came down to Nashville and I tell people sight unseen. I've never been down south. I thought you all wow. didn't wear shoes. I said, wow. oh, I'm going to stay in this one horse town for a year or two. And, you know, 48 years later, this is you – know, man plans his way and the Lord directs his steps. What what year was that that you came to I Nashville? came here in July of 74. Wow. It, it was not much more than a one-horse town probably back <laughs> oh, then. No, no, it was great. But, I, you know, I mean, I was young. I was full of myself. I had a luxurious head of hair. I thought I was pretty good looking, you know. That, but we go through that. And then right. you walk around somewhere and somebody say, aren't you that guy on television? Hey, nice of you to notice. Let's do lunch. You know, you, you get full of yourself. Anybody in any job. It just it cracks me up. I'll go I'll go through a, 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 a McDonald's or something, and the little kid that's on the on the piano all of a sudden has got some authority. Can I help you? And you know, and, and I, we all it happens to us. So when did you when you came to Nashville? Were you a Christian already? Were you walking with God then? I, I went. My parents because uh, it was a Lutheran church that had sponsored us. Mm. So I went to a Christian grade school and a Christian high school. You know all of that, I, and the and the reason that my parents, I talked them into letting take letting me go to the Christian high school because my sister went there because we had a good basketball team. I don't know how they paid for it; they did not make a lot of money. You know, that's one of those things. My parents were both gone, and I was so full of myself, I didn't ask how in the world did you guys make ends meet? You know, mm-hmm. but they did, and I did that. But uh, when I was when I went in the service, and I'm like 19 years old or 20 years old, um, I really didn't walk back into a church because I. I um, you know, we all look good in church on Sunday. Yeah. Hey, right. brother, love you so much. But then, they, you know, cuss you out because they cut you off. Or the preacher's going too long in that football game starting at noon. And, and it's just two different worlds, and I didn't want to be around the phony of it, so I left. Um, and, you know, and, I, and, you know, and that, that, was my, that was my life. And I came to Nashville. I was here for four years. 
I worked with a wonderful man he uh, way before y'all's time, um, Paul Eels, and he, and he was just so considerate to people. He was a wonderful example to me. Uh, but then one day, Paul comes up to me and said, uh, Rudy, I got a job offer to be the play-by-play man for the Arkansas Razorbacks. I think I'm going to take it. I'm 31 years old. And I said, gee, Paul, I hate to see you go, buddy. Because <laughs> I was always under the pretense that if I'm in the right place at the right time when the right job opens up, it's mine. Mm. I'd be the best old boy you've been around in your whole life if you mm. could do something for me. Now, I might talk about you like a dog behind your back, but nobody likes a wimp. <laughs> you got to be tough to make it through in this world. And so I, I played that game. And again, they didn't hire me. They bar- hired wow. consultants, put them together, and they didn't hire me. I'd been here four years. I'm 31 years old. Wow. And it crushed me. It goes me right back to that other stuff. And that's the kind of stuff. I've never had the – I don't have the – the drug difficulties or uh, things of that nature, but pride because, uh, you know, uh, it, it's an ego business. You have yeah. to have a certain amount of pride to do the work that I, that I did. But, but when it gets all consuming to you, you got to be somebody, you know, especially men. How long does it take us to ask a guy, say, hey, what do you do for work? And they tell you, and now you're saying to yourself, hey, I think I make more than he does. <laughs> you know, I think I'm a little better than he is. I mean, we just size each other up all the time. We were circling each other. And again, I got down on my knees. And then one day, and it just crushed me. Because everywhere I'd go, people would say, Rudy, why didn't you get that job? Well, I didn't want it. I didn't, and it's just, eh. you know. And I'm driving down the road here in Nashville, downtown, what's called Trucker's Turn, on 40 downtown, on the ramp to head west towards Memphis. I'm pounding the steering wheel on my car, and I'm saying, God help me. And three days later, I used to occasionally go to the Green Hills YMCA and play basketball at noon, a couple, you know, for an hour or so with some cool guys, and then I'd get something to eat and, and, and then leave. Well, I did, and I went into a little place called Joe's Village Inn, which was right across the street from there, a little dive for, for in, in eating a hamburger. And the, the people all in the place, and this black man in a room full of white people walks over and sits down next to me. And I say that for a reason, because we're all brothers, and that's so, and he didn't know me from Adam. He was from. He didn't know. He wasn't from Nashville. He said, "You all right? You look like something's troubling you." No, no, I'm fine. No, well, you are. And I'll be. We start talking. I even called us. We're slow at the work, and I just stayed there for an hour and a half. And then, and he said, "I'm going to call you tomorrow." He did. We went out to lunch. He told me about a God that loved me, Jesus Christ, all these things that I'd heard and grew up with, but right. didn't have any meaning to me. Boom, he's telling me again. But now all of a sudden, you know, you don't find an atheist in a foxhole because when something goes wrong, everybody, oh, God, help me. Well, I'm at that point. And he does lunch the next day. And the next day on October 10th, 1978, at 1230 at a window seat at a restaurant. It's now it's the Tin Angel. It used to be down on West End Avenue. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there and he said, would you like to pray and ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? I said, sure would. So he held my hand, one eye open, I don't know what's going on, and he prayed with me. And I, I didn't walk out of there in OD on my own goodness. God did two things. Number one, instantaneously, uh, he changed my mouth. Not that I cussed all the time, but, man, you're around sports, stuff comes out mm-hmm. in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, you all, yeah. boom, and, and all of a sudden I couldn't GD. Any, I, it just it just went a desire. And I had this burning desire to know to know about this God I'd given my life to. And I said, well, I'm going to stick with it until you, you, know, you prove yourself wrong or whatever. And, and now it's 42 years later. And, and, and God uh, – and I, I always laugh and I say God had a sense of humor 
because he said that boy's still a little cocky. I believe I snatched a hair off his head. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned the rest gray, and I'm no longer just another pretty face. And, you know? and so that's what he's done. He's taken all this period of time. It just blows my mind to think back uh, what he did. So that was the second time that you got kind of, I guess, passed over. Uh, did you, while you were there, did you, like, get? I know you're upset. Did you send out your resume, and did you think about leaving at that point when they brought on the consultant company? Well, it wasn't long after that that uh, that, that that I, you know, I'm, I'm with Jim, and then he, with him, and three days later I gave my life to Christ. No, I didn't think. All of a sudden, I had something else that I had to spend my time with, gotcha. and I got involved in a Bible study, and okay. I got involved with men of faith, and, and it was different. I saw the world differently. i tell you what, mm-hmm. the very next day, my best friend and I, or maybe two days later, we go out to Percy Priest Lake. He's got a fishing boat. He likes to fish. I don't you know. I just ride along and wet the line or something. So we're out there in the water, and he said, man, what's happened to you? you something, there's something. I said, let me tell you what's going on. I don't quite understand it. And so I tell him about what it is. And we're fishing, and we get back into a little cove area, and it gets to be about 4.30 or so. And he said, well, let's go back. And he cranks on it, and the motor won't start. <clears throat> oh, man. Well, there got to be something wrong here. Now, there's nothing but marsh and all that stuff all around. Mm-hmm. Here I am, two days old. I said, I'm going to show you how powerful God is. I said, Lord, help us to get out of this. And you show him that you're a God. <laughs> and I'll be 30 seconds later. <clears throat> this big oh, boat what? comes around the corner, pulls in and says, you guys all right? Need any help? I'm like this. They throw us a line. They're, you know, he's got a pretty good sized boat, so it had to be bigger than that. All the way in, I'm going, yeah, yeah. and and we cruise that, you know, cruise wow. in that way. So, story. so awesome. God, uh, you know, all those things were meant by Him. I think when you're a young Christian, you get incredible things that explode and around you because mm-hmm. God, it, it's like shocking a pool. You know, at the beginning of summer when you wanted to purify it, God will go there. That's why He did miracles. For his own disciples, so they could see and say, "My God, listen to you know." You read the Book of Mark; it's it's like they really don't even know who he is. You know, they just ask these questions. Tells them about I'm going to die. They don't know. They're talking about which one of us is the best and which and all that stuff. But then they got it afterwards when it when when he rose from the dead. Boom! All of a sudden, that, all of that exploded. So away we went. You're you're a celebrity. You're you're known in in Nashville. How does that, when you are recognized on the street, how is that ego, did you have a battle, ego of, of that changed when you started walking with yeah. God? I, I think I was always a pretty good guy. I mean, I liked people, so I never had any trouble. I never had trouble with people coming up to me and that sort of stuff. You really want to be the same person. I always, in my broadcast career, wanted to be the same guy that hopefully that you see on television is the same guy you'll meet if you're out. I don't want to be two different people. So so that that part was not. But what happens to you is you become very perceptive because I'm in a, in a broadcast business. If if you're cynical, if you you guys know, if you're negative, if you're critical, uh, politicians as well. If I you know if I shout louder than you, I'm smarter than you are, and it's mm-hmm. and it's it, this this whole thing going. That, that's not the way God works. So my life became diametrically opposed to what's considered successful in my business. And I'm saying, well, sheesh, I remember a college coach calling me once at 530 and saying, Rudy, I, I want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm going to resign. Really? Newscast said, he said, no, look, I'm, I, you're a good friend. I'm just telling you, um, I, I'm going to have a team meeting at 630. Do me a favor. Don't say anything. And, you know, until 10 o'clock, I want to tell them first. Mm. 
okay. Well, it's about 6.20 or so on another station in town. And we have learned exclusively that coach so-and-so. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm getting my butt kicked here. What is that? But it's never failed that it hadn't turned around. So what God does is he changes your perception. I began to realize that if I'm cynical and if I'm negative and if I'm critical, I mean, it affects people's lives. You know, it's so provocative. And I look in sports. You're either a winner or a loser. You ain't worth nothing. They ought to get rid of him. He can't coach. And I have all this. And how do you convey that information? Hmm. You know, what needs to be? I, I, I tried. I would always try to do my interviews and let that stand on itself. I wouldn't try to browbeat on, beat on people. I don't know. And sometimes I don't, I don't know if I did any good or not. But for some reason, I was able to work for 43 years in one place. You know, and and I got a, I heard Dan Dan Devine, uh, no Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz, when he was a coach at Notre Dame, came to town and he said, "God even loves a fool," and he's taken a particular interest in me, <laughs> and 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 that's kind of what I felt. I just had to try to be who I was. You can use enthusiasm, you can try to be as honest, and people can sense and feel. The greatest thing you can have is for people to say, man, you, you know, you just seem to be the same kind of person. You want to be that same person. And then, uh, and then let, that, let that stand and be as it is. So I would try things. I mean, you know, in, in the years I've done, I've gone skydiving. I've, driv- I've driven race cars. I hit the wall, the Nashville Speedway. Got 150 stitches in my head. Wow. You know, T-bone that sucker. Came around <laughs> and, and, and practicing for a race, and I hit it so hard that I had the, I had the full helmet helmet and the, and the neck brace and the heart. Hit it so hard that my face shot forward with a full-face helmet and hit the steering and bent the steering wheel on a race car. I've wow. got it at home. Bent it. Wow. You know, and embedded it was before I had LASIK embedded my glasses i've got a picture of me laying on the operating table with my scalp laying on the table behind me and the guy the first wow. emt guy gets to the car and i'm going and i go into shock as it, it kind of happened and i said do you think the car is going to be okay and the guy said, <laughs> rudy's the best wreck we've had here all day and before he sees all of this coming down oh, well they put me goodness. on the back of an ambulance and took me to vanderbilt and the guy in the end and the ambulance has pulled pulled this down and is pushing down my forehead and said rudy come backwards from 100 by sevens Y'all try it. <laughs> I'm going uh, 93, 86. I just want to see if there are any marbles. They get get me to the hospital. They call my wife. A guy from the Tennessean newspapers gets sent out to overcome it, and he hears my wife talk to the doctor, and she says, Doc, fix him up good because when I get him home, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> you know? But then every guy in here knows you got to bite the dog that bit you. So I, 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 I won because I've so I've done all that. Race car flew with the Air Force Thunderbirds. They pulled nine point three G's. I mean, I just and why people say, oh you uh uh-uh. to this day I'm still trying to prove somebody wrong. Still trying to find out if I'm a coward. Mm. It never mm. goes. It'll be a mm. part of your DNA the rest of your life. But God will use it to His glory because you will be sensitive to other people. I mean, I can't relate to Michael Jordan wrote just one book uh, and a small book. And he said he wanted the ball in the last second. I want it in my hands. I want to let it go because it's in my hand. Man, I would be so stinking nervous. I can't relate to that. But I heard Jerry Rice at the Hall of Fame uh, banquet, the greatest wide receiver of all time. He said, what made you great? He said, I was afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. Now I can relate to that. Right. So those things that you do wrong relate to an awful lot of people. And then you get yourself up. I don't know if you've been watching. Have you watched the Ali uh, series that's been on PBS this whole week? Muhammad Ali by Ken Burns. Man, two hours each day. It's fantastic. 
I interviewed Muhammad Ali when he was heavyweight champion of the world, 1974, I think it was, end of 74. He was going to fight George Foreman in Zaire. He came into the room with his entourage, shook his hand. He gave me this little dead fish handshake. I said, oh, come on, champ, champ. And he said, no, baby, these, these, these keep me looking pretty. I don't, I don't, I don't do this. You know? but, but every time when he, when he lost and he got back up and he, to do it, I mean, I just people love those kinds of stories. If you're on time, it's like a preacher. I I don't if you get a preacher that's talks to you down from the mountaintop I don't need to be in that church like he's got it all straight he's great he knows it all you know and he's going to tell you what you got no 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 I'd rather I'd rather uh you know some guy tell me I'm struggling just like you are and so let's do this together so yeah, we go yeah. would you consider Muhammad Ali being your greatest interview that you've done or would you have one that's oh no he's he's a joy i mean I, i've been around be a jack nicholas i spent a whole afternoon with evil knievel you know wow, yeah he about <laughs> killed me in a golf cart at a golf course because he, he, he had a hit him a long neck beer in one hand and flying before they had governors on these golf carts and, you know so i've had you know I, I've, I've met an awful lot of people i rapped with shaquille o'neal at a boys and girls club they had me on stage with him for an hour awesome. he said to me he said we walked in he said hey man who are you eminem's grandfather i said what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> and I wore some bright blue. I wore some bright blue sneakers just for him. He said, "Man, I like your sneakers." And I said, "I'm a dangerous man with some money in my pocket." Whoa! And so we high fived him from then on. It was on, and I loved it. And so I, I, I've I, and I've interviewed Michael Jordan twice. He came. Um, all right, so I've had the joy of meeting an awful yeah. lot of neat people. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anybody that you that was a jerk or just totally off-putting occasionally i i, I can't I, I can't say anybody specifically because you work some people are just in a hurry um you hear that they're two different people when the camera goes in they're like this turn the camera off they're all like this so i'm I study i really study people i i'm a pretty good listener and that's why the biggest thing for what you do, you know, in a, in a podcast, I really listen to what people say and then dig down. That's what Ali did with me. So what do you want to do? How long have you been here? Where, you, where are you going? Where did you grow up? What are you doing? He, he's in, and he's looking right at you. The eyes are the mirror to your soul. You know, how many people are going to talk to you? Okay, they're all over the place. Right. So be real interested in people. And, and I do that. And then you, can, you kind of get them back. The greatest thing you can have somebody say to you if you're an interviewer is to I can't believe I'm telling you this. You know? <laughs> Makes sense. Then you've gotten them to a point where they feel so comfortable with you. Uh, now, you can ask tough questions, but you can do it in a, in a dignified manner, you know? Uh, and don't pretend you know everything. When, when the hockey team, Nashville Predators hockey team came here, I, uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. I skated with figure skates on, on the ice lagoon, you know? And so I didn't, I didn't play hockey. So I, some of the rules and all, I look at it like, okay, that looks like a three-on-two fast break, and he's not looking at the puck, so that's like <laughs> dribbling without looking at the ball. But I, somebody's trying to knock his block off. Like, Holy cow, this is great. So, you know, so I would go up to guys and say, look, teach me this. You know, tell me about offsides. And it's the most naive question. And because you don't pretend to know anything, all right, so they do it. I say, oh, great, thanks a lot. So it's if you're going to be a man of God, it's the spirit with which you do your work. If you if you if you if you want to, if if you're so insecure that you need to be a know-it-all, they can tell, you yeah. know. And people can tell on the other side of the television. 
you guys can watch. You see someone who speaks to you, and they've got all of this stuff. And I tell, I would tell young reporters all the time. They stand out. I said, talk to me. Don't report to me. Mm. You don't ever talk like that when I'm talking to you. But when you get on television, I have to tell you that, come on. All right. So it's not, you know it's not brain surgery. It's yeah. just being interested in people. Wow. Uh, so any of your interviews that you've done, is there anyone where like you were kind of surprised? Maybe like you didn't know they were Christian, and you maybe had that conversation with them in your interview. I, I, I haven't really, and specifically with people. You know what I do? I would in the especially in the Titans locker room. Okay. I would walk around to guys who I got a sense of. Um, and and just without a camera, camera mm. which is harder because they think we're the enemy. Mm. So all you want to do is is hear something or what are you hang, hanging around here for? Or you want a phone number so that I can get this and that. So it would take me longer. I would just say, hey, how you doing? Where'd you, where, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Now, after a while, they start to open up a little bit. And I would you say little things like, well, you sound like a man of faith. You know, I don't say to them, you know, brother, do you know Jesus? Well, right. you know, you want you, uh, that's what your heart says, but but you ease into it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't talk to the you're not preaching to the choir. You're talking to guys that are walking around the edge of the pool because there would be guys that are walking around with big old crosses and talking like you know what. And I, mm, see, that's interesting. You know? yeah. And so they manifest, well, yeah, I've got this and that. Really? You know, and then it opens a conversation. Yeah. Then it's another time. And then you've got a whole season. We're in there during football season, three or four t- days a week. I would begin to look them up. We have some would become friends. Chris Sanders, former Titan, mm. uh, did a Sunday night show with us. He's like a brother to me. He's, I call him my adopted son, you know, because I just love him. But then that's how you spend that time and you find out where their faith is at. It's hard for me to imagine if I'm 23 years old. And I've signed a you know multi-million dollar contract, and I walk out that door, and there's young ladies everywhere, and people all around everywhere. I, I'm glad I'm not tempted by that. Come past that age, because that's hard. So if you find a guy who's willing to toe the line honestly and stay with it, wow, I'm so impressed with that. And then you encourage them. I would always say I would never want to leave. Every chance I get, I want to. I would always say, give somebody an honest compliment today. An honest compliment. That means you've studied them. I would tell it to reporters. I really like the story you did, and here's why: because of that, what you picked, what you did there, the way you brought that into it, and the way you ended it up. Into, and and now, you, now you're building into other people's lives, and you can do it with athletes. I would listen to their press conferences, and they leave, and I walk up, say, I walk outside, man. I said, I, I thought you really answered that tough question well. Hmm. You did that with, with with a lot of character. Hey, I appreciate it. But you planted a seed, and the next yeah. week we talk, and the next week we talk, and all of a sudden you've made some relationships. Because ultimately, that's my job. I'm not, you know, sports. There's a which you guys know. I mean, there's a difference between your job and your purpose in life. You know, my job was to be a sports guy. The purpose was to invest in other people's lives mm. in some way. Now that makes you ask different kind of questions. You know, that means the answer that you take. Sometimes I would tell them a couple of times I would do interviews, and, and it was a wrong thing to do if they actually knew back the station. I would say to them, man, I don't think you should have said that because that really incriminated, or the, 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 you know, something of that nature. Oh, man, we no, I, I won't use it. I won't use it. But now if they had known that back at the TV station, this is breaking news we have learned. And so you walk a line if you're going to be a man of God. 
Yeah. You're always trying to represent. You don't become a wimp. Almost everybody that ever was an intern with me or that worked for me, I would. One of the things I've, in Proverbs three, verse three and four, it says in the New King James, "Let not mercy and truth forsake you." And you'll find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. So I said, have mercy in every conversation. Mercy, understanding. Put yourself into their shoes a little bit, all right? But don't be a wimp. Don't. And then the truth is, in news, we beat you over the head with truth. Everybody says, we're giving you the truth. Don't beat you, beat them over the head with the truth of what it is. You balance those two. You think about that with every story you're going to do, every interview, and, and most of the time you come out of it, you're being respected by the people with whom you work. So, Wow. You touched on this a little awesome. bit, staying at the same station here in Nashville for 42 years. Three. Thank 43 you. years. Richard Petty. Richard Petty, number <laughs> 43. 43. Yeah. And that, that's really not typical from what we no. as viewers see. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see somebody for a few years and they move on to a bigger city, better job, mm-hmm. more prestige. How was that? Um, how, how did you go about doing that? Well, it's a it's a good. I will tell you this: that uh, times have changed. Millennials nowadays, from all that I've read, will average fifteen jobs in their career. Wow. That are millennials because times are different. You might got my daughter, our, our younger daughter, has had twelve jobs. You know, but always somebody else wanting her. Mm-hmm. And she, she, there's something that she wanted to go to, and this was a nice stop. She didn't. She, I thought she would say no, but then something else. So I can't belittle. I, you know, I'm a dinosaur in that regard. People won't stay somewhere that long anymore. My dad always said, "Stay somewhere." And my philosophy: stay somewhere long enough so they can see you grow older and trust you and grow older with you. Mm-hmm. And that's wherever I go. Still, if people, man, I grew up with you, which is a wonderful, soft mm-hmm. feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. That's nice. And I said, how old are you? He said, oh, I'm 45. Mm, man, okay. <laughs> you know, in, 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 in that regard. So um, I'm not sure. Where were we going with the rest of Staying in Nashville, staying oh, at one job. Well, you know, I, I, there were times in there. I met my wife here, you know, and, so, and she was from here. And so mm. she – but there's a little part that says, should I try it? And I tried a few places, had a few uh, nibbles from people, and then got to a point when no, you know, a daughter was born here and children here. And so you want to, so you want to begin to stay. Um, and then here's what happens to you evolution-wise, people that maybe watch. And this happens. You guys are way too young for this, but it happens. We all get to a point where all of a sudden they can get three people or two people to do the same job that you did. And they can get them for a third of the, of the money. And, I, and for me, back in 2004, we, uh, we were owned by a, by a, a large uh, a company that had like 12 stations, I think, around the country. This, the new CEO of that uh, corporate uh, for all those stations lived in Las Vegas. And he had a monitor watching all the television stations. And he used to call me. He came once and stood in front of us all with a highly expensive 5000 something looked like a suit, a dollar suit. And he said, my philosophy in life, pardon my French, is to kick and to make money. And I'm smarter than all of you. And we're looking at really this is and, and, was, and he would call, he would watch in La, in Las Vegas and, and on a regular basis I would get a call be driving home and and my phone would ring and he and he'd why'd you do that why'd you do this wow. you know and he he was a gambler because he came in once for a meeting at the station and all and all of a sudden he says I really do me a favor give me the uh, 
uh, top five finishers in the Memphis Golf Classic over the last five years. See, I'm, I know this thing. That means, you know, because you can bet in, in golf. And, and if somebody's got a track record in the last five years, and, and, uh, and I got back to them, I looked at them, and it's, I, I, I can't find it. Well, about, I don't know, within a week after the later after that, I was called in the general manager's office, and in one five-minute interview, he took my he cut my salary by a third. He took my title of sports director away, and he told me that I would be gone from the station after uh, after December thirty uh, first or something at two thousand and four. And they put out an email saying, "After thirty years at Channel Four, Rudy is retiring after a great career," and I'm and I'm going, "Lord, what do I do? Do I scream? You know, or, or shout?" Well, the newspaper gets this, sends a reporter and said, oh, Rudy, what is, what, is, what, you know, what is the story there? Now you get a choice. And I, the quote I said to him, I said, I've preached faith for 25 years. Now I get a chance to put up or shut up with my faith. They've decided to go in another direction. And he got wow. deluged with emails and calls from people and what is going. And at the end of the year came and my, my door fob still worked. And I'm there, you know, December, January started, still there. And I, oh, I don't know, I'm still here. And, and all of a sudden, a month or so later, he got fired for some terrible emails that he, some racist emails that he had sent out to wow. a bunch of other places. And it's like the God said to me, if I want you there, is nobody going to yeah. get you out of there. And so when I retired, I had a, a reporter ask me, he said, how do you work somewhere for 43 years? I said, you swallow your pride. I live by the word of God. And during that whole period of time when I, when I was supposed to be gone and I was trying to – it made me creative. I put a, a website together and I and worked on speaking things and tried to make a, pro, a proposal to be a, a teacher at a university in town and stuff like that. But Proverbs twenty five fifteen says, "By long patience, a boss is persuaded, or a ruler is persuaded." I wrote the word "boss." By long patience, a boss is persuaded, and a gentle tongue stops a quarrel. So I said, "Lord, I don't know if I'm the biggest fool in the world, and don't have any guts, or if, I, if I, or if I've got guts, but I'm doing it your way." And, uh, wow. and so I said, "You swallow your pride." And all these people. These wonderful people from all over. You won't even remember. Yeah, I met you in a hallway back 30 years ago, and you said something I'll never forget, and it encouraged me. And all we're supposed to do is just be vehicles for him. You know? yeah. and, and, it, and, and God will honor that. You know? And then you, know, you say, what are you going to do after that? Wow. You're, what did your parents do for, for a profession? Well, it, it, see, uh, my mother and father actually were Russian. During World War II, my father was in the Russian army, was captured by the Germans. My mother was a school teacher in a village in the Ukraine, and she got kidnapped out of that school building because they could both speak German. Uh, and they were, and so when the Germans were defeated, were being pushed back, they met each other in uh, the southern part of Germany, area of refugee area, in the southern Bavaria. So that's where I was born, down in near the Bavarian, near the Bavarian Alps. So I speak German with a southern German accent, <laughs> a Bavarian accent, which is like good old Southerners compared to Northerners, you know, and that sort of stuff. Dad was a master electrician in Germany. Mother, um, I'm not sure what mom did or if she worked, but when they came here to the states, Dad couldn't speak English, but he found out about a factory where they hired him on an assembly line. Because Dad could fix anything with his hands electrically. And he worked there 32 years and never had wow. one sick day. I, I worked That's incredible. Cha- I, worked That's channel, nice. I worked at Channel 4 43 years and had 12 sick days, uh, both of them for surgeries. One I tore my ACL and the other one is when I split my head open. 
So my dad was my example. You got to see a man to be a man. Mm. And so I, I, my example, my dad, my mom worked in a shoe factory in the, in the payroll department, uh, bookkeeping. She was a brilliant bookkeeper. Uh, brilliant, I say that, because she kept track in her, for us to save, see, Germans. He said, you will save. A part of my, dad, my dad's check every week went to savings. My mother kept track of every nickel and dime that we spent for candy bars. You will save money. You will not waste money. You know that and the education. Well, you know what they did with me with the education. I was a I was a rebel there. <laughs> what is the like relationship wise? I'm, I'm outside of like Channel Four, like within town and stuff like that. Did you have good relationships with other yeah other anchors and everything like that? Oh, all other stations, sure. Other stations or sure. anything that y'all work well together and all that good stuff. Well, I always wondered how that. How that works with kind of competition-wise. Yeah. I think Nashville in some ways was somewhat unique because stations would be willing to help each other. There would be times, oftentimes, if I might be the only one there, I'd hold everybody's microphone. Channel 2, Channel 5, 17, I'd hold everybody's microphone. Here, let me do that. It's another little way to, Lord, you know, this, this is no big mm-hmm. deal. So I think the city had a was, was good in that respect you know, awesome. and such. Um, you know, but you've all got your own thing. And then you get to a point, uh, you know— th- Again, with your age, you guys are not there, but you'll have to make that choice. Uh, when I was 70 years old, I said, Lord, I'm, not, I'm healthy. Uh, I, I, I could keep going and what I was doing. Um, but I said, I, I don't know, I, I, and talked it over with my wife, and, and you do your planning financially and things of that nature. And it was kind of strange sitting in the news director's office one day and saying, I'm, um, I'm going to retire. You're what? Uh, and when the words come out of your mouth, I mean, you know, this is because we're making a good living and doing all that stuff. And so we set a date at the time at the at the end of 2017. And everybody was saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to play golf? out of <laughs> And my, my favorite verse in the Bible is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good deeds that he's prepared ahead of time for us to walk in. I said, good Lord will show me. And a month later, I'm at a speaking engagement, and who walks up to me? Tevin Peterson, a man that you know, I said, who was a former intern of mine 25 years ago. I said, Tevin, what are you doing? He said, I work with an organization called Men of Valor. We go to prison. I said, I want to do that. Because I had done stories back in 1984 at the old prison. Did you ever see Ernest Goes to Jail or the Castle <laughs> or some of those, the old prison that we yes. have here? Yeah. Well, yes. they allowed us to come behind the walls, and they literally had a football game like the longest yard. Uh, you know, and I mean, these prisoners, they were just prisoners against prisoners with guys with shotguns all around. And they were beating the pulp out of each other just because <laughs> going to the infirmary is better than going to, to the jail. And I what did a, a story with that. And I did a documentary on a guy who had been a murderer in there. And I went, and I said, sign me up. I want to do that. And the minute I walked in, I said, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. And that's been four years now uh, in that sense because I, I had a little street cred because I'm walking in there and guys hey, Rudy, how you doing, man? Where's your helicopter? We get five of us on that sucker and get out of here, you know? But it's, and I, met, I can't tell you how many guys I met who said, man, you covered me when I played ball at such and such a high school. And I said, what happened? Well, uh, drugs, man, or I got angry, five minutes of anger, five minutes of stupid, and all of a sudden they're in there. And so we, we get, I got involved in a Bible study on a Tuesday and then – we got another one on uh, on Saturday morning with other guys, and then said, "Would you mind going in the gang unit?" Which is uh, so I walk in, and now this night you got Crips and Bloods and Aryans and Vice Lords, and and they keep them separated, and uh, you know, but but they come in and they push you, 
They push you. They, you know, what are you doing here, man? You racist? You know, who wants to believe in a God who, who's so egotistical? He demands that you love him. That you, who would kill his own son? And they, you got and they can read you like a book. They're convicts. They're cons. They can read your body language. They try to literally drive you out. And I loved it. All those years, I said to myself, I spent 45 years, all told, in broadcasting just to get me ready for that. All these coaches and politicians and stuff that have been around. And I love it. It makes you study and do your stuff. And you got to live it. you got to have lived it for all your life. And then you, come, you ain't coming back. You come back the next week and you're there. Man, what are you, what are you back for? Hey, you got, and then, oh, that's fine. Go ahead, talk. A couple of times, they, they start arguing amongst each other. And I just shut up. And they're arguing. I said, wait, 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 wait. Let, uh, let my man, how come you're not saying anything? Y'all go ahead and run your mouth. And I, I tell him, I said, if you, if you like what's going on with your life, and you, if, it's, if it's working for you, that's fine. You go on back to your jail, your cell, you know? You like it? You want your, you want your kids in here just like you? If, if, if all of that, go ahead. There's no, no problem at all. But if you, want, if you want to change, if you want something to give you some hope when you get out of here, then we can talk. And then he come back, and all of a sudden, a month or two later, a guy will come up quietly. Because if you're kind, you're weak, you know? So they'll come to you a month or two later and say, man, I've been praying in my cell. And you know what? I feel better about that. And another guy, and another guy. But sometimes, like one night, one day we had a Bible study, and 10 seconds after the Bible story, huge fight between two guys. One was a leader of a large group, and one was a subordinate who apparently stepped out of line. I mean, blood against the wall, the guards come flying in, and some of the inmates protect us to hold us back to the side. Man, I'm sorry. Apologies. And we just, you know, so we had to have guards. We didn't have guards in the room at that time, but then after that, we had guards in. And then I started going to meet a man on death row, and, uh, and that's my whole life. There are men over there on death row. We have a we have a Bible study. I'm, I go down to I go to death row on uh, uh, Friday afternoon. I can go any day of the week now. I don't know how that happened. I literally and I laugh. Oh no, maybe I shouldn't say it because until they got my, that took them forever. Bureaucracy. They thought I was a, a media spy. I was first de- <laughs> I was first rejected, uh, declined to be able to get my 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 credential. I said, what have I done? I mean, the last thing I remember is a speeding ticket on the way to my wedding rehearsal, you know, (laughs) Uh, and stuff. And then some people, you know, spoke up and whatever, and I got that, sir. But in a period of time in there, because the guards, whatever, I was literally sneaking into prison for about a month or so, which is kind of funny, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because you go through eight different checkpoints when that steel door opens and slams shut till you get inside where you're going. So we do that. And so I can now I can go in there any day of the week uh, uh, to do stuff. But I, I go to death row on either on a Wednesday or on Friday, um, Saturday in the morning after being with, with some guys. And then Sunday night we have a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I am the spiritual. I've been, he, they have to have somebody on death row with a pending date. Uh, they, they, they designate someone as their so-called spiritual advisor who will be with them to the very end if it unfortunately gets to that point. And I'm the spiritual advisor for a man named Purvis Payne who's getting a great deal of uh, attention right now because he was wrongly accused of murder back in 1987 in a terrible situation in Memphis where he came. He was going to his girlfriend's apartment uh, in her apartment and he hears uh, moaning on the other side of the hallway taps on the door and opens it up and there's a woman stabbed in there and her child was stabbed to death as well and she's gurgling and asking for help and he uh, pulls and, she, and he pulls the knife on and, and blood splatters on him you know and uh, you know and he uh, I'll call I don't know and he doesn't even know he is intellectually disabled he has a 76 IQ but he has a heart of gold 
He didn't even know how to dial 911. He dialed 411. The police caught him, arrested him. The cops, he's a young black man. He knows he, how tough it is. Memphis has more, has had more, has more men on death row than any other uh, county in the in this state. Has lynched more people uh, since the late since the 1800s. It, it's just old. It's just mm. it's just wrong. And so they never looked at his mother. Screamed. They called him a sexual predator, and his uh, you know and, and, his, and his mother screamed. Drug test him. He has never. They never drug tested him. All those years he stayed in prison. All those years, and 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 the only thing that kept him alive, he tells me he says I was born near Memphis, but I was raised by God in prison. Because when you're in a, a eight by ten cell, he he he's got this incredible relationship with God. He has had visions in his life as well. And finally, he got a DA, a, a, not a DA, an attorney two and a half years ago, that changed everything. She went and demanded and got to go into their storage rooms and found found um, evidence from the from the crime itself. The woman had fought and all of that. Said, uh, a fingernail clip. She had scr- uh, scratching, and they finally got a judge to approve doing DNA testing. Well, what happens when they go get the information up? Some, most of the key information has mysteriously disappeared. They found wow. DNA other than his on the knife itself. It's smudged and it all, but his part, because he pulled the knife out, is down by the blade and in the handle, where, which coincides with him pulling out. He's never lied about what he is. And he's, he's had, he was supposed to be executed last April, but COVID. And so now we've got a nationwide you know, campaign. Um, they've had almost a million signatures on a petition to get him clemency. Uh, to, it's just one of those, and uh, I and I go see him, and he has more. He, his faith just puts tears in my eyes because of uh, what he's forced to have done all these years. He's never had one write up, you know, and he's thirty three years in prison. Wow. So here I am, and I got invited. I've been invited to the governor's office to speak on behalf of another man that was uh, a year and a half ago. You know, talk, talk about and I, and I sat there saying, man, here's a, I, mean, I was in sports for 40. What am I doing talking life and death in the governor's office? But he let him be executed, you know, whatever. The, he stuck by the rules of what it is and broke my heart. And I thought, oh, I can't do this anymore. No, you got to do one more and purpose pain. And, and we meet with other guys in there. Uh, so that's my life. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the whole scope of everything. Look how God, look, think of your life. He takes this little kid from Germany who does not speak English, who screws up in school. He does all these, who all his life thinks he's not good enough. He gets told he's not good enough and mistakes in all his life. But then somehow here at this point later in life, through the mistakes, that's where you get your backbone Mm. is from what has happened to you in your life. So embrace the adversity. You know, because that's what'll make you deeper and stronger, and that's what I—that's why I loved watching the Ali series. Uh, it's not over yet, but he, when he lost for the first time, I'm gonna get back up. I, you know, and his style is not my style, and he's a Muslim, but but his—that's okay. I'm so judgmental of people. I don't want to be. Uh, you just want to be a light for them, and so what you guys are doing here is is a light. There's somebody watching overseas who is in some difficulty in some situations. Yeah. And you guys are giving them hope. Well, we appreciate that greatly, Rudy. We appreciate you coming um, and sharing some of some of your um, stories from your life, and and just being a great example for us and and mm. for others yes, definitely. A, a, around the world. Yes. Um, we'll we'll end it here in a second, but a bit of levity here. Yeah. 
we we had a talk a, a few episodes ago about fried pickles. We went to I, I went, like fried pickles. Uh, well, that's good because we. we <laughs> what are you going to give me a plate of them or something? <laughs> I, I, we don't have any here, but so we there's a restaurant in Goodlettsville that my family and I went to, and they had fried bread and butter pickles. So we tried it. It didn't really sound appetizing, but we tried it. We'd never seen them before. They were not good, in our opinion. But uh, uh, Jennifer, uh, a listener, emailed in podcast at parkwaybc.net. But she emailed in and said she totally agrees those bread and butter pickles are nasty. But she would like to know where the best place to get fried pickles is or the best place we've had some or a good place that we may have had some. So I'm going to leave it to you all. I, that's a tough one. Do you that's like fried pickles? Do you all like fried pickles? I do. I do but I I'm don't. trying to think of the last time I had fried pickles. So I'm going to go with a, an easy one, and that's uh, Texas Roadhouse. Texas Roadhouse has pretty good fried pickles. But for a, a specialty thing, uh, Opry Mills Mall, there's a, a restaurant called Claim Jumper. Mm, never been there. I've heard of it. We, their yeah. appetizers are great, huge portions of appetizers. I mean, the meals are good, too, but appetizers, very good there. Large portions, not too overpriced, but that that would be my specialty place. Mm. You Maybe. know, even Zaxby's, you can get fried uh, fried pickles. Yes. You know, I've had them, and uh, I mean, they're okay. I'm not real picky. I like, I like the taste of them, so. Yeah. I don't know for sure. I will have to fact check this, but maybe Cock of the Walk. Oh, those might. are hands. I yes. think they, don't they have fried pickles I'm, there? I'm about... Okay, ninety percent sure. Yes, that's the that's yeah. the best place. It just came to me. I feel a little yep. jealous now. I like Cock of the Walk. I don't go there often. Yes, that it's, a, it's a hidden hidden gem. My my brother in law goes there every year for his birthday. That's his yeah. birthday wish is to it's go amazing. to Cock of the Walk. It's amazing. So, I used to take amazing. my wife there. It is very good. Yeah. 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 Where I'm, where is it? Uh, near Opry Mills. It's oh, on okay. Music it? Valley Drive, yeah, down past Valley. the RV camp. Okay. Uh, the RV store. Yeah. Okay. Right there, right yeah. right on the river almost. So, yeah. yeah. It's good it, stuff. It is very, it's yes. very good. So they kind of serve platters mm-hmm. of catfish and chicken tenders and shrimp and all this fried goodness. So you got to be a little careful, though, if you order, if I order chicken and shrimp, and everyone else to order just chicken. You know, it comes out on a big platter, and if you're picky and you fight for food, somebody's going to be grabbing your shrimp. So you got to yeah. be a little careful there. Nice you know, stuff. if you have a competitive family, <laughs> who, <laughs> who uh, Get you know, they're they're counting how many pieces of shrimp everybody's yeah. eating. But, yeah. They but, flip uh, the bread. They have the, uh, the cornbread. Oh, the cornbread, yeah. cornbread and skillet. They flip it at the tables and stuff. So it's good. It's good stuff. It, good yes. stuff. There you go, Jennifer. Thank you for emailing that in. And um, if anyone else has any questions, email those to us, and we'll do our best to settle a debate. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys are food connoisseurs and food critics. I like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, cock of the walk, Jennifer. Go try their fried pickles and let us know what you think. Indeed. So, Rudy, we always end with a Bible verse. And if you don't mind, I'll let you give Ephesians 2.10 again, and that's how we'll wrap this video up. Ephesians 2.10, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Then, you know, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good deeds that he's prepared ahead of time for us to walk in, to do. So you just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then just sit back and hang on, maybe. Hang Amen. on. <laughs>
Well, there we go. There's no better way for us to end it than that. We hope you've enjoyed this episode with Rudy, and uh, we'll see you again next Monday. Thanks for listening to GPS to God. Make sure you give us a rating or review on whichever app you happen to use. Also find us on YouTube and be sure to subscribe to our channel.